Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think I'm going to have to figure out where you hunt and set up a little too close to you. <laughs> yeah, we'll make a road trip. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if they knew who we were or what. But they did it, and, and of course, we invited them over there. And, you know, and of course, it was more fun for us to invite them over and hunt with us. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, folks. And on today's episode, we got Dennis, a.k.a. Dr. Duck. And we'll be talking about his tips, tactics, and strategies for finding the ducks and scouting them out. So without any further ado, let's get on into the podcast. So uh, thanks for coming on, Dr. Duck. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great opportunity, and I appreciate it. Yep, so if you guys aren't familiar with uh, Dr. Duck, he is uh, he's out of Texas. And uh, the first time I ever heard of him um, was some of his Sitka videos. He's got one uh, uh, called Dr. Duck. And, um, you know, they did another one this year uh, called Duck Trip. And uh, it was him and his buddy, uh, the, I think it was the Duck Fowler. Yes, sir. Billy Campbell. Yep. So pretty neat content. If you guys haven't checked that out, be, be sure to check out his videos. I'm sure you guys have. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm just just the guy who loves to duck hunt very passionate about it like spending time doing it and uh um it's you know it's something i got to do you know starting in my later years in life um you know i grew up with hunting with my grandfather so uh but we coon hunting squirrel hunting and uh did very little bit of deer hunting and as i got older i, I, I tried deer hunting but it just it didn't burn that fire so when I got into duck hunting, it just it just burns that fire. I mean, I you know I just get out of bed at two or three o'clock in the morning, and it's it's easy because I love and I enjoy doing it. So it's something I look forward to every year, and uh, and I try to learn more and more every year, and try to get better every every year. So um, so that's that's probably my story um, as far as the duck hunting world. I was watching some videos about you and and of you and, and I've kind of heard your story a little bit. And my understanding is that you started an Instagram account and that kind of blew up. And then you had people contacting you from that. Yes. Can you kind of give a little background on how you became kind of uh, known, I'd say in the videos and all that. Well, I, you know, you know, in the, in the cell phone industry, uh, they made a lot of money over, over last, last, a few years because every time I'd go duck hunting, I would, I would lose my cell phone in the water. So my buddy, and I'd always lose all my pictures. So Billy, he said, Hey, won't you just start an Instagram account? And that way, when you, 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 you'll have these pictures. And if you do ever drop your phone again, you'll always, you'll always have your favorite one. So I said, that's not a bad idea. So I started it and, um, and it just started growing a little bit. And, uh, and, so people started reaching out and asked me if I was interested in working with them. And I, I, you know, at first I didn't respond or anything. I just, I thought, you know, somebody was trying to pull a joke on me. So, um, so I had Billy to, to reach out to him and see if it was true. And it turned out to be true. And, and, you know, we started working with Ken outdoors and, 
and everything grew from there. And uh, the first video that we done was the Dr. Duck. And uh, it just, it, it, it was pretty successful in my opinion. And as, and Sika was real happy with it. So we, we jumped out and they asked us if we was interested in doing some more stuff with them. And we, we did the 25 force. And then of course we went on and did the duck trip as well. Nice. That's pretty cool. So what would you say kind of like, uh, you know, working with some of those guys, what has been, um, like one of the main benefits to, you know, doing all that work with Sitka and Canna outdoors? It was, it, it was an honor. And, um, and you know they were they were great people to work with. Uh, ben became a family friend. He just he's just not a guy I work with. He's he's came a family friend, and, um, and you know we stay in touch today uh, on a regular basis. And and Sika, I mean I couldn't you know what they've done for me is is a dream come true. And every guy that I know and we talk about it, and it's exciting to have that opportunity because guys like me. Uh, those opportunities don't come open every day. You know, we're, we're here in the state of Texas. And if you guys were planning a duck trip, state of Texas was probably be the last place on your list to go. So, um, so for them to give a guy like me an opportunity from the state of Texas was very honorable. And, and I can't thank them enough. And, and, uh, and, you know, you, you just appreciate those times you get in those opportunities. So we don't, you know, like you said before, you just, they don't come across every day. Gotcha. That's pretty, that's a pretty cool story. So, um, was your, uh, your initial video with them shot in Texas? Yes, we, uh, it was, some of it was shot in Texas and then, uh, some of it was shot, in, you know, in some other locations. We, you know, we traveled to Arkansas and got some footage there as well. So I know one of your main things is you, you always like to say, uh, um, that you're a big advocate of the public hunting. Um, but I've heard, you know, Texas might be a little bit more of a difficult state than others to hunt public. Texas is a very hard state to hunt. And two reasons why you do it's I, I can say, and I'm probably undershooting it a little bit, but I'm going to say, I know minimum it's 95% privately owned. So all the public lakes here is basically what you have an opportunity to hunt. So, and that's where we hunt. So open water and open lakes, sloughs, and you know, every once in a while, you get uh you know a beaver pond or something or creek that's come off the lake and you, you have access to it so um in yeah texas is very it's very locked up and anything here that's leased or is able you know you know if you're available to lease it it's it's real expensive and uh and so it's a lot of it's hard for these younger guys to to uh to access that property or have a chance to lease it so um so I just, I, you know, I enjoy the public land hunting. I, I enjoy the competition of it uh, on both sides uh, as far as trying to find the ducks, locate the ducks, and then also the competition of, you know, having a neighbor next to you. So uh, it makes it a very interesting day. And, you know, you can, if you got good neighbors and they allow you to work birds, then it could be pretty successful. But, you know, a lot of times on public land, you don't get those new, na- those good neighbors. So it, you learn a lot of lessons. So. And I tell people all the time, if you if you can come to the state of Texas and kill birds, you probably can probably just go about anywhere and kill birds anywhere in the country because um, they're so well educated. Uh, time they get here, they've done seen all the mojo tricks. They've been shot at, they you know, uh, a lot, and they and so it makes it really really tough. And, and you know, they're you know a lot of times when they get here too is they're real call shy. So. If you blow too much or you don't blow enough, you got to figure that out. And you just don't have the opportunities like you have up north or, 
where if you mess up a volley, uh, you might have that next volley that comes in. You might not see another volley. So it's, you know, the duck numbers are down uh, for us here in the south. And when they get here to Texas, uh, you don't see the big groups. You got, you know, you might, a, a big group here in Texas is probably about 10 birds. So you, you're usually working doubles and singles and, you know, a few triples here and there. But uh, now why, do, why do you think that is? Why do you think that's the case? Well, our surrounding states do a great job of, you know, and I wish, you know, Texas is a, a deer hunting state. Uh, they put a lot of money in their deer hunting. Uh, we do have some, you know, some uh, WNAs around here, but our neighbors do a lot better job. Uh, Oklahoma, they still farm. Uh, of course, Arkansas does the rice and, uh, they just, you know, they cut us off. Uh, you know, it's hard to compete with cornfields, you know, here in East Texas, we've got barbed wire fence and Bermuda grass. And, um, that's, you know, you don't, unless you get up towards the panhandle a little bit and towards, um, Corsicana area that way, uh, they do a little bit of farming there. Uh, and you might see in the Trinity river, you might see a few bigger groups of birds, but if you know and i always tell guys all the time they always say the freeze line well it's not necessarily the freeze line you necessarily got to have the snow to go with it because if the snow is not covering up the fields along with the freeze line then those mallards they're not coming down here uh they're 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 not going to come any further than they have to they're a real lazy bird in my opinion uh so if they're on a good food source good water source they're not coming here yeah, and it's, I would say it's not just snow. It's six plus inches of snow. Yeah, I, I, yes, I would say that too. It's, you know, it's we, be, we, it's we hunt out of Kansas here, and um, we get lots and lots of birds. But this year was a pretty good weather year. But the two years prior, it was so warm that they barely got down to Kansas. So I would assume that the last three years, not maybe so much this one, but the two previous were really rough for you guys. Yes, it's really, it's it, it's it's tough. And, and you know, a lot of younger guys that get aggravated because, you know, you know, they see the duck numbers that Ducks Unlimited and other organizations put out and they get excited and they think we're going to have a great year. And then, of course, then when the year gets here, it's like, where's the birds? Where are all these birds? Everybody's telling us all these numbers and they just they don't get here. Uh, you know, this year we did get a freeze and we had and I'm telling you, we we limited out three or four days in a row, solid green here in the state of Texas. And everything was froze up. But as soon as that ice melted, I'm telling you, they were gone the next, that day. So, yeah. uh, and, but we don't have the food source to hold them here like you guys have in Kansas. We just, yeah. we just don't have the farms anymore. Yeah, the ducks never, ever get all the way past us, ever. They're all, you know, no matter what, they're always ducks to hunt here. But it, when the ice does come off here, it's when it's the best. I mean, yeah. when, we get, when we get ice melting and a south wind, in January, you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands. Now they're smart birds, but I mean in droves. That's the best time of the year. Yeah, uh, they they I guess they come. You know, they might come down to Texas and they come right back and see you on a reverse migration. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, but, you know, of course, you know, we got more duck hunters here in the state of Texas than most people realize. So every square inch of that lake is getting hunted. Uh, those these birds around here it's really hard for them to get a, a good resting spot. You know, if you travel Oklahoma and you travel Arkansas, they got zones off to where you can't go and hunt them. The birds are allowed to go and rest, you know, state of Texas and East Texas, we, we're not set up that way. Mm -hmm. 
we do have some places that's uh, designed where you have to be off the water by noon and uh, or you have to stop hunting by noon and be off the water by one. But those are very few and far in between. Most most public land hunters, they're hunting in the morning and they and then the second shift is going out in the afternoon. So it makes it really tough to uh, to get on birds here. Oh, looks like. Uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. So um, I guess let's jump on to uh, the main topic. Let's talk a little bit about scouting. So um, I guess we'll just pick your your brain a little bit on uh, what your tactics are tactics are for scouting. Um, so I guess just take us through your process when you're looking at a location or, or checking out locations that you want to hunt, um, you know, just from start to finish how you scout it. Well, if, if I'm if I'm on the road and I'm traveling, uh, the first thing I'd like to do is, you know, I pick out pinpoints. I've been doing it for years, so I, I kind of have an indication of where I want to go and what I want to do. Um, so, you know, every year in public land hunting, seasons every season is different. You know, the water levels change every year. It's up or it's down. The hose that you hunted last year is probably dry or it's flooded too much. It's too much water in it. So... Uh, but you know those birds are in that area, and you just have to, to find them. So what I like to do is go to places, and, you know, before daylight, I get up, get in an open spot so I can watch the sky, see where birds are flying or working. And and if we are, if we do get on some birds in that location, then we try to work our way to them. And, and, um, and you know, we try to figure out where they're landing, where they're landing from, where they're coming from. And then, you know, once we figure all that out and we got them locked down to a certain location and then we'll, we'll, we'll take that extra step. Of course, you, if you've seen some of my stories on Instagram, I, I'll get in there and I'll get as close as I can. I'm watching the birds. I'm trying to see exactly where they're doing, exactly where they're landing <clears throat> or how many different spots if we're in the timber they're landing. And, you know, and I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking how many guys I got with, with me? What's the wind blowing now compared to what it's doing in the morning? And then I'll try to figure out exactly how we're going to set up according to how many guys I got, how many dogs I got, uh, how many boats we're going to have, where we're going to hide the boats. All those little steps, I, I think, uh, creates a successful hunt. Uh, I just see too many guys, uh, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with it. I understand guys have got to work and, and they get off at a certain time and they got to go out there and they run their boats through there and, and all they do is push those birds out and not really get a good idea of what those birds are doing and um, so i try to take the extra step of just taking that time to to really figure out what those birds are doing and why they're really there um if, are they there just watering are they loafing there or are they feeding there there's a difference how bad do those birds want to be there is what i'm trying to figure out and and once you create that story of what what's going on then you kind of can line everybody else out and, and what to expect the next day. So that's, that's what I try to do most of the time. Are there any tips you have to identify whether they're feeding, loafing or watering? Uh, to me, and, and a lot of guys ask me that question, the loafing birds to me is going to be uh, pretty much on open water. Uh, guys call me all the time. So, Hey, you know, we found a bunch of birds and they're, they're, they're on open water. Either their new birds arrived or they fed and somebody's pushed them out of their feeding hole and they came out and they're loafing on open water somewhere. And what I mean here in East Texas on the bigger lakes, uh, if they're not on the back slough somewhere and they're sitting, you know, kind of in the middle of the lake or on the, on the edge of a big 
of a big bin or something like that, then they're just loafing right there. And, you know, I, it, and a lot of times is you can tell how bad the birds want to be there because some of them, when you do scout, you are going to flush some of them up and they're going to fly out. But if they want to be there bad enough, they'll start, they'll start migrating back in about 15 or 20 minutes. If you can just pull off about 600 yards with a pair of binoculars and you, you can figure out exactly where they're landing, if they really want to be there, if they don't return to me, it's, it's a loafing spot and you go set up there. Oh, you guys there? Yeah, yeah we're still here. Go yeah, ahead. and you go set up for the next, next morning, and you know, like you get a phone call. Hey, there was three hundred birds in here yesterday, and not one of them showed up. And that's an indication that was that's a there. You know, there's a spot where they just found a rest where they just wouldn't. Nobody was bothering them. You know, they um, and that's what they do. They just try to find a spot where they can get where they feel comfortable. Uh, no predators or anything like that's messing with them. You know, a lot of times. Uh, you know, guys on these lakes, they push these birds around so much in these boats and these mud motors that we have in the south. We have a lot of them. So it ends up pushing a lot of birds around. So that's the first indication that you could tell if it's a loafing spot or if it's a feeding spot. If, if they're just sitting there, if they bunch of them fly up and they get up real quick, they get up real high and they start heading north or south or east or west, but they don't, you know, they're not coming back. So you could just tell that's, a, that's probably a loafing spot for that group of birds. So you're trying to find the, uh, you're, you're trying to find the feeding locations then, uh, opposed to yeah. a loafing spot. Here and in Texas, th- yes, you try, you try to find because you know, like I said, loafing spots to me, and I I haven't been very successful at them is because they change from day to day, and and it, it depends on what type of pressure they get that day, uh, whose boats have been in their hole, how many times they've been run out of that hole. There might have been one guy that comes scout it that morning and pushed them out two, three hours later, another guy coming that morning and pushed them out. So they're, you know, they're flying from their feeding hole to where, Hey, we're going to go land over here. Let this guy get out of there. And eventually they'll start going back to the feeding hole. So it seems like, uh, sometimes you find locations that, you know, are a feeding hole. Um, and you got another feeding hole and you got birds kind of like, I mean, they're almost like the exact same area, but, um, you know, the birds are picking one opposed to the other, you know, do you get any, uh, suggestions or reasons why you think the birds pick one opposed to another? Uh, that I really don't know. I, you know, when it comes to feeding, I, I think that has to do with the, you know, uh, the elements that they're dealing with, you know, uh, colder weather is going to be higher protein, you know, warmer weather is going to be, you know, vegetation and, and, um, uh, lighter, lighter you know, stuff that's not burning them up. So I feel, um, you know, you know, ducks dictate how they feed according to the weather. So, uh, I just, we here in Texas, we don't have the high protein food really, you know, the, you know, we got smart weed, um, and then we got what we call the duck peas and the duck beans. And actually just one seed is just a little bit larger than the other. So we try to find those locations. Those pretty indicating, you know, that's the the best food plots for them. Um, you know, you know, sometimes we got these. You know, we find them on these sandy beaches and stuff like that. And then to me, that's basically where they're just trying to get a little sand in their crawl, just a little loafing spot. And they just don't seem to be consistent enough to come back to those locations. You know, it's more or less, you know, in those backwater sloughs, beaver ponds, where they can get on that vegetation. I think this is all really interesting. So I've got a place I want to talk to you about, and you may or may not have answers for me. 
Um, so we've been hunting this little marsh for about seven, eight, nine years now. And you can't get into it with boats and it doesn't get overly hunted very much. And it's actually full of American lotus, which is like a lily pad. Yeah. And I've always wondered whether the mallards would feed on these seeds, which actually they're edible and they're, they're, they're pretty good. So we've had a lot of success on this marsh um, over the past six or seven years, mostly during November. But it's typically been um, gadwalls, teal, shovelers, not really mallards. Now this year the water was down, I'd say about six inches. So it's about knee deep, maybe a little bit less. Uh, water and the mallards came and were in this place by the thousands this year i mean we shot limit after limit after limit the conditions really hadn't changed i'm scratching my head to try to figure out what was the difference as to why they were there this year because i mean it was hunt i'd say from november clear up to mid-december we were shooting limits almost every single time out of this place and never before i mean we've always scratched out a few mallards in there but this year was drastically different than any of the years. So I'm scratching my head as to maybe the water depth was a little different so that they were able to access these seeds. And I, I didn't check their crops, which was stupid of me to not do. <laughs> but um, I just can't, it's a head scratcher to me as to why they were there in such force this year. And you said, what, what was the food source again? Um, it's American Lotus. So it's like okay. the, the big lily pads and they've got these big nuts which are you know not much smaller than an acorn I, I cannot imagine why ducks mileage would not eat these um, well i i don't they mostly when you got that mostly if you'll if you'll take that um that the uh the lily pad and you pull it up uh normally you'll see snails on it okay and, and basically that those ducks are those snails are high protein and that's they really love those snails really uh, yeah, so if you if you can go out there, I, you, I guarantee you, you can go out there right now, pull some of them up, and you'll you'll see little snails on the you know the stem that goes down into the water, and sometimes they'll get underneath the the, uh, the lily pad's leaf. Um, I don't know if they eat those big seeds or not, but I do know that those mallards they really love those snails that attach themselves to the to that plant. Now, by the time that by the time they're in there, the actual green pad itself is gone but you still have the stalks just the bare stalks coming up yeah and, and those and those snails are in there too and they and if the water level got low they're sitting on the bottom or something like that and those ducks are getting to them uh, we have a lot of those lily pads here in east texas and and they feed on those things uh constantly so hmm. I, yeah, I can't believe I'm so kicking myself that I didn't check crops. It was so stupid. <laughs> I was so high from all the limits that I just think I was getting home and just cleaning them and high fiving everybody. <laughs> and, and a lot of times is, is you know, you're, you know, uh, you know, especially in Kansas, uh, if a farmer maybe he hadn't farmed there in, in several years, and all of a sudden he leased it back out to maybe somebody started farming it again, and they're they're flying there to rest because it's close to that crop. I mean, you know, people don't think about that, but a lot of mm -hmm. times that, that changes their flight pattern as well is when one guy either starts or stops farming, it dictates where those birds migrate to. So you might have had a guy that's local, maybe a mile or two away that was starting to farming again and it brought those birds in there and they found those, and, uh, those new fields. On, on, on that same point, this is a public wildlife area. They planted a lot more millet in other pools and a lot more corn. So I'm thinking also that they're night feeding in these areas that get heavily pressured and then coming in because they're not they're not roosting in this place because they weren't they're not typically there in force 
until the sun comes up. But yeah, it might be a combination of the two. Well, here's yeah, another idea be. for you, Elliot. Um, I don't know if, if uh, duck hunters generally do this, but I know like for trout fishing, a lot of people actually cut open the stomach of the trout and uh, they look at what they've been eating just to kind of be able to match the hatch. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if if you guys either either you do that. I've never done that myself to check kind of no, what the feeding patterns. Okay, so you've done that. <laughs> you should have done that on those. You could have checked know, for your snails. Or, okay, did. gotcha. I was just so excited from all the limits, I guess. I didn't care. I was yeah. killing them. I didn't care what they're eating. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that, could, you know, could affect that. I mean, either the food source was there or the, the food source appeared nearby somehow. So mm-hmm. a lot of that, you know, that you know that could happen so you know and that's we don't thing. typically shoot a lot of mallards in november but this year with the colder weather up north i mean we were from the beginning of november on it was crazy this year yeah yeah we 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 did really well I, i'm telling you when that when the uh uh when we had that week of freeze i'm telling you i haven't seen it freeze like this in texas in years and i'm talking about our open water lakes the deep part the deep part was freezing up as well so like I said, during that, it was probably the best duck hunting I've seen in Texas in a long time. So it was very exciting to see a lot of mallards. We had in one hole, and this is on public ground, we, we probably found like two or 3,000 of them sitting in a hole. Mm-hmm. And we shot limits all three days there, uh, five-man limits uh, all three days, as long as everything continued to ice. But as soon as it, as soon as it started uh, defrosting, ice started disappearing. And, uh, awesome. Yeah, the – the colder weather can definitely bring in some, you know, awesome hunts. But, you know, thanks for that. That was some great insight on scouting. So I think uh, with that, we'll go ahead and jump to the lightning round. So the lightning round, just can, you know, ask some quick questions with some quick answers. So uh, first question is, uh, what gun do you shoot? Benelli. Uh, I started shooting SB3 this year, and I was, I was very impressed with it. Awesome. And uh, is that your dream gun? <laughs> yes, sir, it is. <laughs> I yeah, I ask that a lot, but you know, Super Black Eagle is uh, you know, a pretty pretty legit gun, so I assumed it was. Yes, sir. I've been shooting, you know, I've had a 2. I actually I was on my second 2 and then uh, um and I just, you know, I got the SB3 this year, so I was very excited to get that gun. I love it. So it's, you know, to me it's it's the best gun on the market. Nice. Well, we'll agree to disagree. I'm a Browning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a Browning A5 guy. So. <laughs> oh, hey, I like A5s. I got some friends that shoot them. There you go. Uh, shot size. Uh, I'm a candlestick guy. Uh, I just, uh, you know, here in Texas, you know, the three and a halves on open water. Sometimes we have to take a little longer shot than we want to want to, and then of course in the timber, it's probably a little bit oversized, but. You just when you hit the road, you never you never know where you're going to end up. So, uh, so you're I saying number ones? No, number twos. Okay, gotcha. Three, three and a half number twos is what I shoot. And okay, I've never heard, them. I've never heard that referred to. What do you call it? The candlestick? I call them candlesticks. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, uh, what's the reason behind that? I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. We just you know we just everybody asks me all the time what do you shoot and i always tell them i shoot candlesticks i said what's a candlestick i said i shoot them three and a half oh, okay gotcha gotcha all yeah, right uh, uh ducks or geese i'm just hey I, I love i love uh i love geese hunting every once in a while uh, but uh, to me it's 100 it's ducks 
Uh, I just love chasing them. Um, you know, goose season right here, you know, it's just, we just don't have geese. I mean, we get them, you know, of course you get them in Oklahoma and Kansas, but uh, you know, we have to either go to Houston or we have to go to Oklahoma here in Texas, East Texas was, it's, you know, you, you just don't have those opportunities to goose hunt. Uh, face paint or no face paint? Face paint. And uh, what's your uh, brand of ammunition? Heavy shot. Uh, beard or no beard? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so how how long have you had that beard? I've had it for about five years now. Okay. It seems like it's uh, maybe quadrupled in size from uh, the, the Dr. Duck video. Well, yeah, you know, I cut it back, let it grow, and I cut it back, let it grow. This year, I just after the season, like I said, I went from I'm telling the last day of the season to the first day of uh, baseball season, so I just I just hadn't trimmed it yet. So yeah, I too. usually do because it gets so hot here in Texas. I mean, we're oh yeah, yeah, 100, 105 for long, so it, it, it it'll be cut back for for long. All right, uh, would you prefer hunting uh, open water or uh, fields? Me, my personal, I love being in the timber. Uh, it just, to me, it, it's nothing better than the timber. Calling them down and watching those birds uh, uh, come down through those trees. You know, and I, I and I tell guys all the time, it's, you know, I've squirrel hunted and I've coon hunted, and I've said this before in interviews, uh, you never think about the opportunity that the ducks are doing coming down through those trees. And once you see it one time, uh, you're hooked for life. I'm going to have to hunt some of that timber. We had a passion of pursuit on here, uh, Joey from there last week. And he was uh-huh. saying, uh, you know, how great timber is as well. And, and I don't get on any timber hunts. So <laughs> apparently, yeah. you know, it's well, the best once, thing out once there. You do it, uh, once you do it once and you actually work those birds into that hole and they're coming down and I'm talking about true green timber that's, you know, in Arkansas is probably your best opportunity. Uh, guys are probably killing me right now for saying that, but if, if you want them, you know, and they got great, Arkansas does a great job. I'm a fan of Arkansas. They do a great job of their public land. I wish Texas would take a page out of their book to start doing the same thing. We, we have the same capabilities here to what those guys are doing. We just don't take advantage of it here. But Arkansas, to me, takes great pride in their duck hunting. They do a great job of, of conservation there. You know, each WMA, you might only have three birds in that WMA. You're only allowed to carry sometimes a certain amount of shells and certain size of boat. They got, you know, stricter regulations on depending on where you're hunting, which I think that's a great thing. And it's, it's you know, saving it for tomorrow. And they do a great job in that. Awesome. Would you awesome. be in favor of a universal, like you could only take X amount of shells on a hunt, on a duck hunt? I do because it keeps from the sky. If you think about it, one of the WMAs I'm talking about is probably one. I had I didn't go to it last year, but it's one of my favorite. But it keeps a lot of the tree topping, what we call when the ducks mm-hmm. are flying the tree tops. It keeps that away. So if you're only allowed to carry 15 shells in there, it's gonna it pro it will cut down on the tree top and it makes you actually, you know, Arkansas to me has done got back to true waterfowl because they cut down on that and not saying anything bad about anything, but. You know, got back to just decoying ducks. You know, no tricks in the book, no battery-operated stuff. And, and, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about that, but I'm just saying, it to me, it teaches guys to really, especially these young guys, it teaches them to really get back to the true calling of duck hunting. It's setting up your decoys right, maybe getting a jerk string out and calling your call right and, and learning, really, truly learning how to read birds. 
I love this topic, so I'm gonna stop here just for a second and add to this a little bit. So, um, and I would get your thoughts on it. I feel like there's such an influx of young guys into the sport that one of the main problems is we've got a lot of college kids getting into it that have no formal training, you know, from their dads or their grandpas. I'll no, let those birds pass, work them, let them work, bring them in. And so we've got a real problem right now with ethics in, in duck hunting. I, I feel like, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I feel the same way. Um, you know, the, the sport to me is actually calling the ducks in, trying mm -hmm. to get them into your decoys as close as you can, you know, you know, in, that that that's an art to me is when you do that it's not all about the kill all the time it's actually doing your job of really working those birds in really getting them full to really come in and set in those decoys and you're making good clean kill shots you know when you're shooting outside your zone a little bit you're wounding the bird and you know we got dogs too but if you you know a duck can swim out swim a dog all day long so mm -hmm. when you're losing birds and you're taking long shots. To me, that's just not a fun day. To me, it's working those birds in. And in Texas, it's really hard to do. And I, and I understand these young guys' frustration because, and I tell guys all the time, is, you know, you know, you, you hunt a lot of fields and you, you call these big group birds in, you know, and you got five or six guys and 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 you got 30 shots between you and all of y'all low, but and you kill about 10 of them, but the other 500 flew away. You just educated 500 birds and, and they educated to that mojo. So when I get down here to the South, you know, we don't, honestly, I haven't, I haven't used that motion stuff in years because it just, the ducks are starting to learn to flare away from it and come into it. But the younger guys just need to get back to what duck hunting is what it's about. And it's not about and what they got to understand too, in my opinion is, uh, just killing limits every day is, to me is not a successful hunt. It's how you kill them. Yeah. And, Amen. and, 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 and calling them in is, is the key of, of a successful hunt and learning to read birds as you're calling them. You know, are you blowing at them or are you just blowing a duck call? Or are you actually watching their wing speed? Is it slowing up or slowing down? Are they actually turning and looking at you? What are they doing when you're blowing a duck call? What do you need to change to maybe get their attention? Are you so, overblowing or are you underblowing? So, so when we're on the topic of uh, of educating birds, um, I know one thing they talk about in deer hunting when you grunt at like a buck per se, like they're saying you educate the birds. So I was curious if, you know, calling or, you know, overcalling educates ducks as well. Uh, not necessarily. I, you know, you know, ducks, when they, they're looking, they're looking to see what's wrong most of the time. They're not looking to see what's right. Um, so, you know, mallards are really smart. They're going to circle and circle, uh, especially if they've been shot at several times and that, and the hole's been hunted a few times. They're going to really, they're looking to see what's wrong down there. If they find one thing that's wrong, then they're leaving. So, uh, there's a lot of things that's right down there. The decoys could be right, but you got one guy that's standing out of place, uh, or you, you know, maybe one guy looked up too soon. Um, and it, it didn't maybe just flare them off, but it's making them think, hey, it could be possibly something down there wrong. Uh, calling to me and your decoys, uh, to me, a lot of times it doesn't flare the ducks off as much as the mistakes that we guys make by looking up or, or moving or maybe a dog jumping a little bit too soon. Uh, just anything that just makes them think a little bit longer and uh, it makes them that much nervous to either continue to fly around or maybe, hey, I'm going to find another spot. Yeah, too. Cool. One, more, one more point. One more point. On this I, I, I could talk about this specific topic forever. It's kind of one of the missions of my 
YouTube channel is to kind of help give a different perspective and and I don't know if educate's the right word, but at least give more of these, some of these younger guys that don't have the upbringing, a different way of looking at it and thinking about it. Because I I think that, and I think YouTube is partially responsible for this. It becomes piles. Can we make a pile? How big can our pile be? And guys would rather shoot 50 shells and have five birds in their bag and 10 other off wounded than shoot two hovering over the decoys. And I think as any one of us that has a voice, whether it's you or, or me or Jordan, I think that harping on this topic of how to do things right is really, really, really important. And I think it's something yeah. certainly with your mouthpiece, with Sitka and everything, it's something certainly that you guys have an opportunity you can speak to as much as you can as well. Yeah, and we, and we have. Me and Billy, we, we, have, we have taken that extra step this year. and uh, Basically, uh, you know, of course, you run into it all the time in public land where one guy's just set up too close to you. And we've had that happen to us a couple times this year. And what we try to do is invite those guys because, number one, they're they're not educated enough to know, hey, I'm setting up too close to someone. So what we do is we invite them over. We hunt with them, um, talk to them, educate them. Uh, we, we had several cases this year where we ended up hunting with guys we didn't even know and got to know them. And, and they... I felt like they they learned something from us this year. Great. Uh, they, uh, you know, we're working mallards, and then of course a few of them didn't realize that we 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 we'd have mallards working, and the teal would come landing in the decoys. We wouldn't even pull the trigger, and they're like, "What? What? <laughs> you know, it's not all. You know, I want to learn how I'm going to get those green heads in. You know, I'm yeah. not a period. I, I, you know, I like the challenge of, of, of getting that bird convinced to come down and land in those decoys. And they learned a lot, so uh, you know, and it, and it, and, it and, and you know, it makes me appreciate it more to be able to teach somebody something like that. So absolutely, and, and you know, of course, you know, and, and to see how we do things, and of course, you know, they they're smart guys. They ask us questions, and uh, they figured it out pretty quick. And 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 I think from now on, those guys will move on. I think those guys, you know, they got a base to start off from. So that's great. Hopefully, yeah, that's and, great. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't mean to interject too much on the lightning round, but that's a topic. No, I no, no. The, we were done with the lightning round. We just, uh, you know, started going on another great topic. So I'm not complaining about that. So, um, but yeah, I think I think that that about does it. So um, we appreciate you coming on here, uh, Dennis. And um, anything you'd like to say to your your fans or. Uh, you know, anything you got plans for the future you want to share? I I, I just want to say that, it, you know, it's been an honor working with SICA and having the opportunity to work with those guys. And uh, they're a great company, great group of guys. And But I'm really honored to this year um, to have the advantage to work with Realtree and, and Drake Waterfowl that, you know, uh, there was nothing that, you know, a lot of guys think something's bad. It's always bad happen when you make changes. But sometimes you you make changes that, you know, help move the industry some. And that's what we've done with Realtree. Um, talking with those guys and being part of their family and their about family. You know, I've, I've watched Realtree guys ever since I was little. So to, to work with these guys in the future and the videos that we got and the plans we've got made, it's, 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 it's exciting news for us. And and like I said, to work with Realtree and be a part of their family and be just open-armed with those guys is, is uh, a dream come true for me. So 
I'm looking forward to that. I just hope everybody uh, uh, continues to support us and can continue to grow as, uh, as the day goes along. Awesome. Anything else from you, Elliot? I don't think so, Dennis. If you ever uh, want to get on some public land in Kansas, uh, my YouTube channel is Freelance Duck Hunting. You can always get a hold of us and see what public's like in Kansas. All right, I'd love that. I'm going to take you up on that opportunity. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, thank you, guys. All right, guys. Uh, well, that's all for us tonight. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week right here at uh, 7 o'clock Eastern. Um, that's all. We'll see you. You've been listening to the Duck Gun Podcast. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Um, really appreciate you guys showing up every week. So um, couldn't do without you guys. Uh, you guys are awesome. So anyways, guys, uh, we'll be back here again next next Wednesday as well. You guys know the drill. Um, if you guys would like to get your questions answered um, on the live podcast, then join us at our YouTube channels at Duck Gun Chronicles or Freelance um duck hunting so you can find either one of those channels in the description down below right here on the show notes and uh you know if you guys have made it this far on the podcast then make sure to drop us a review on the podcast it helps us out a ton and anyways that's all i got for you guys and we'll see you guys next week let's go